We come to the fourth week on discipleship, and I feel like right off the bat I need to make a couple of caveats. Um, first of all, I want to say that, that four weeks does not exhaust the, to- the topic of discipleship. Four sermons on, on discipleship don't exhaust that topic, but hopefully what we've done is to paint a picture of the highlights of what we're trying to aim for in the new mission statement, expanding Christ's community through, through worship, discipleship, and relationship, because we want to see what that looks like, and we want to have a target that we are aiming towards. And so while we don't have the complete picture, hopefully we can understand better that the disciples are faithful, they are available, they are teachable, and they are reproducing. That, that quick acronym, FATTER, that we said, disciples are fatter. And so uh, we want to take a look at that and remember that as, as a way to say, what am I actually aiming for in terms of discipling and being discipled? Faithful, available, teachable, reproducing. And so we're coming to the fourth week on this, and this is the, the, the week that is the one that is most likely, I think, to produce a fair amount of embarrassment or shame. Not that that's the point of the sermon, don't hear that, but it's a function of the state of discipleship that we've inherited. In other words, we're going to try to correct something that has been going wrong with discipleship for decades now. Anytime that we work on a weakness, we feel vulnerable and perhaps a bit embarrassed. It's very interesting. If you go into psychological research, the quickest way you can make even the most confident person feel unconfident is to start correcting their language all the time. I don't think you're using that word quite right. I don't think we get very self-conscious when we're being corrected. And so this is this is a the topic that maybe we're going to feel the most self-conscious about. We are perhaps going to feel the most uh, uncomfortable with. And that's in part because of how we've been talk, taught to think about faith and how we have been taught to think about communicating that faith. We have been taught that there are two things you don't discuss at the dinner table. Politics and religion. And we have relegated our faith to a private matter. And as you maybe have heard me say before, our faith is a personal matter, but it is not a private matter. Those are two different metrics. And I want to highlight that, that this we have been discipled by our culture in terms of reproducing disciples. And anytime we work on a weakness, we feel vulnerable, like I said, and perhaps embarrassed. But as we go through this together, let's remember Paul's words to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. He said, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. We don't want to to go, oh, geez, I, I, I don't know what I can do and just shut down. But we want to be people who listen and say, you know what, maybe this is something that I need to improve in my life. So what's that big idea that could cause us all this embarrassment? Probably my shortest main idea ever. Disciples, disciple. Very, very simple. I mean, again, this is one of those sermons that I could give you the main idea and just say, all right, have a great day. Um, I'm sure that we would love to get a a head start on, on lunch and on unpacking things. But disciples, disciple. 
Another way that we could put that is followers of Jesus cultivate followers of Jesus. We're talking about evangelism and conversion and the Great Commission, but we're going to look at it through the lens of Paul's message to Timothy. So let's open our Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So uh, as I've told you before, 2 Timothy, conveniently located after 1 Timothy, master of, the, uh, the, of divinity degree came with a master of the obvious degree as well. It's before Titus as well. Um, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Hear God's Word as I share it with you. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the relationship between Paul and Timothy which produced these words of yours. We give you thanks that you have not left us without guide, you have not left us without direction, but indeed through this relationship between Paul and Timothy we can see how the faith is to be moved forward and we need not be afraid. Remind us of your constant presence in our lives. And now open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to understand what you have for us this day. Strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 2 Timothy has the distinction in the Bible of being the latest letter that Paul wrote. This is kind of Paul's final words to Timothy in a a certain respect. Paul was on trial again in Rome, and he did not expect, as he did the first time he was on trial, to make it out alive. And so 2 Timothy is kind of Paul's letter to Timothy saying, here's what I need, this is going to be the final trip. And so he's also giving some final instructions. He's giving some final words, some things that he wants Timothy to remember for the remainder of his ministry, not for the remainder of of Paul's ministry. Knowing that Timothy was going to have to continue on in the faith, he was going to have to continue on in, in, uh, in making disciples after Paul had been executed. You know, it's one thing to to be 
with someone who's really good at something? Have you, have, you been, have you ever gotten the chance to help a really good cook or gotten the chance to help someone who's really good at sewing or someone who's really good at sports? And you're like, wow, this is amazing. I've, by the end of it, you feel like you can do it yourself, but then you take that support away and you go, oh, wait, what's the difference between a, a, a frying pan and a, and a, and a, and a pot? I, I can't remember. We, we are lifted up, we are strengthened, we are enhanced by people who are so natural at these things. And Paul wants to make sure that Timothy is ready to go. He wants Timothy to understand how the ministry should continue. And I mean, that's the question. How does the faith continue if you don't have Paul zigzagging all around the Mediterranean? Well, in this passage, he, he gives some important clues, and I want to suggest three things that we can learn about making disciples that are important for us since we don't have Paul or Timothy or Jesus himself in our midst. That is, uh, the three things that I want us to recognize is that making disciples is expected, making disciples requires discernment, and making disciples is a focused effort. So, let's, let's talk about these individually. Making disciples is expected. You know, oftentimes if, if you talk to Christians, they understand that, we understand that part of the faith is believing in Jesus. We understand that we need to follow the Ten Commandments. We understand that we need to have a certain level of morality and ethics. We understand that there are certain things, but oftentimes the Great Commission does not show up in one of the mandates of the faith. And yet, through all the statements that Jesus makes throughout the New Testament, very, very few of them are actually commands. If you go through, he's, he's just talking, and he, he gives insight, he gives wisdom, he gives teaching, but r- very rarely does he actually give a direct command. One of those we celebrate every year on Maundy Thursday. Maundy, uh, from the Latin for uh, to command, uh, a new command I give you, love one another. But at the end of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, he gives another command. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age." Paul here picks up on this to Timothy. In absence of Paul's zeal, in absence of Paul's energy, Paul wants to remind Timothy that you are to entrust the faith to faith to reliable people who will then entrust that faith to others. Part of the commands that, that we get from Jesus and from Paul is that we are to be discipling people. We are to be on the lookout. We are to be making sure that we are pouring the faith into someone else. You know, and this isn't just individual uh, commands. Paul is talking to Timothy. Jesus was talking to those um, those who were around him at the ascension. But Paul even says it in his letter to the Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. For sure, that means 
the way of life, that means the living up to the righteousness that we have in Christ, but it is also going out and discipling others. And so, one of the, the, the switches that we need to flip in our minds as we think about discipleship is not that, that discipleship is something that, that only a few people do. Discipleship is the work of every believer. Discipleship is the, the, the joy and the privilege. It is God calling us into His mission. Like I said a, a couple weeks ago, it's not the, that God's church has a mission, it's that God's mission has a church. And we have been called into the mission of God. Quick ways that we can think about this is, who is discipling me, and who am I discipling? If the answer is, I don't know, then, then we've got to do some examination, and that's difficult. That's really difficult because there is so much fear and there is so much trepidation that comes with that. Well, I'm not qualified. I don't know what I'm supposed to. Then seek to be discipled. Jesus trained the 12, of course, over time, and then he sent them on smaller missions. He sent them out two by two, the 72. He sent the 12 out two by two, never alone for sure. And he trained them and he got them ready for when he would no longer be there. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Making disciples is expected. Think about it. How did you first hear about the gospel? Who was it that taught you about the gospel? Did you have a personal appearance from from Jesus? That's actually very rare, except interestingly, in Muslim countries. If you talk to foreign missionaries, that actually, Christ appearing in a vision happens very commonly in Muslim countries, but not so much in the Western countries. No. We stand in a line of people who have passed the faith on since Jesus until whoever it was that introduced you to the gospel. For many of us, that may have been Sunday school. But until 1751, the church did it without the help of Sunday schools. The form of Sunday school provided an opportunity, but it was always the people who taught us. Perhaps it was a, a mentor in our lives. Perhaps it was a pastor. Perhaps it was a family member or a friend. But interestingly enough, if you take a look at the research, the vast majority are family and friends. Only 8% of people have come to the faith through a pastor. Now, that's kind of a depressing stat for two of us in this room. But it should be an encouraging stat for the remainder. And that's why we, part of our mission statement is about relationship, because relationship is the atmosphere in which the gospel is transmitted. When we talk about viruses, we can talk about, well, is it, is it airborne or is it waterborne? The gospel is relationship-born. 
It's the atmosphere in which it moves. But as we think about this and as, as we take on and as we, we say, okay, I'm supposed to do this, it's supposed to be through relationship, but wh- where do I even start? I want to mention that, that making disciples requires spiritual discernment. Again, verse 2, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It's very interesting that, that Paul gets that specific. I think as churches, especially as we think about church decline, especially as we think about, uh, about uh, actually just at the Presbytery meeting uh, this past week, we talked about the reality that, that there may be more churches closing in the next 10 years in our Presbytery, and we've got to think about that reality. As we think about that, we, we get kind of that lowest common denominator side, sort of thinking where it's like, you know, if you have a pulse and you walk through our doors, thank you. But as we think about discipleship, Paul, on his way out, on his way to meet Christ, said to Timothy, entrust it to reliable people who will then be qualified to teach others. Now, this is not a one-size-fits-all thing. There is spiritual discernment that needs to go on there. Is the person that I'm willing to disciple ready to be discipled? But also, are they ready to hear from me? You know, we all have different personalities. There are some people that, that, uh, that, uh, that click with others. There are some people that, for some odd reason, find me interesting. It's a very small segment, I assure you. Um, and there are some people that are like, oh my word, how long has he gone on? Can he just shut up? Pizza's here at 12.30, come on. And, and likewise, you probably have people that you connect with better and worse. A good example of this was actually at Lambeck when, when I got to watch our staff connect with different campers in different ways. And we would, in some, in some instances, we would actually just overtly pass the baton onto someone else and say, I have tried to reach this camper. I think my effectiveness has, gone, has been lost. Can you? Yes. Yes, I can. And then to watch the Holy Spirit use that new person to connect with someone, to make progress where progress was impossible previously, to, to, to open up someone who was previously closed off. And so, as we think about entrusting the gospel to reliable people who will then be qualified to teach others, that will be slightly different for each of us. There are some people who will be able to take the more academic left brain side of me. There are some people who are going to connect with the right brain people in the audience. There are going to be some that connect with the artist, with the, the mathematically inclined, with the mathematically disinclined, that's me, uh, with different people, discern who we are to be discipling. Lord, am I to work with this person? And allow the Holy Spirit to come into the equation. Allow the Holy Spirit to come into our discernment. 
the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Who are you being called to, to disciple? If you don't have someone, who are you being called to disciple? Who is it that the Holy Spirit is giving you a nudge and saying, I think you need to say more? If we are smart enough to find a way to talk about the weather in awkward situations, we are smart enough to talk about the gospel. We have been taught that it is a private thing, but it is not. It may be personal. We do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but that was never meant to be hidden. Someone also said that, that no one lights a lamp and puts a bowl over it. said that somewhere. Making disciples requires spiritual discernment. But then, beyond being expected and needing some spiritual discernment, making disciples is a focused effort. And I'll clarify that it's not a singular effort, though. You know, I, I want you to think about this. We have, we have thought about, many, many churches are concerned about church decline. It's, it does nothing uh, if we just ignore that fact. Mainline Protestant, Evangelical, Catholic. If you look across the board, the numbers are down. And in fact, at the, uh, the mission conference uh, on Saturday night, uh, Gina Zerlo, uh, who's a, um, uh, she's the assistant director of the Center for the Study of Global Christianity up in New England, mentioned that by 2070, we are looking at a a possible demographic, if nothing changes, where less than 50% of the population would identify as Christian. Now, in the midst of that, we have anxiety, we may have fear, and we're saying, what can we do? And churches are, want to try mostly things that we've tried before. We look at programs, we look at uh, buildings, we look at facilities. But here's the thing. If we make disciples, we will always have the church. If we make disciples, we will always have the church. But if we build a church, we may not have any disciples. Do you hear what I'm saying there? The making of disciples is what grows the church. Buildings, facilities, and programs may increase numbers, but it may not actually make disciples. Who are we discipling? Again, only 8% of people find their faith in connection with a pastor. That puts the vast amount of burden onto a congregation. But it's a joyful burden where Jesus says, learn from me, for my, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We come bearing healing. We come bearing forgiveness. We come bearing the hope of Jesus Christ to a lost, lonely, divided, hurting world. And so discipleship is going to be a focused effort. Where do I need to put my energy? Where do I need to put my, my, my strength? To whom am I being called? 
Who am I being called to love? Who am I being called to disciple? Who am I being called to share life with? It's not all on all of us individually, I might add. You know, I like to use some stats and statistics to, to back things all up, but also to show exactly how complex some things can be. It's not all on all of us individually to, to, to disciple and to, to carry on the faith. The average conversion story, again, this is average, takes two years from first introduction to when a person confesses Christ as Lord. It takes five different significant witnesses and over nine times hearing about the aspects of the gospel. Now, we can say, oh, I'll be in someone's life for two years, but I don't think we can be five different significant witnesses at the same time. If you can, I'd like to refer you. And nine times hearing about aspects of the gospel. And so, as we take on the burden of Christ, as we take on the call to make disciples, we recognize that it is done in community. That one person may need to hear yes from you, but they may also need to hear from the Christian down the street. They may need to hear from someone over there in, that, in the workplace part of their life. They may need to hear from someone in a different aspect of their life. Two years, five different significant witnesses, and nine times hearing about aspects of the gospel. When we pray to disciple others, when we pray, who am I supposed to be discipling? We recognize that we are not the only influence in their lives, and we pray for the other five or more people, or less, who may need to introduce the gospel, that they too would be strong in the Lord, just as Paul said. Do you notice how he started that section? You then, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't try to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Don't try to lift this all on your own. Don't try it. But be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do we think about that? How do I, how do I lean into the, the strength that is in Christ Jesus, the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Have you ever seen T-ball? If you haven't, you can imagine it. It's a baseball that sits on a tee. And what you see is, is that you will see these kids come up, and then you see the parents come up behind them and help them, and together they swing. Now, if, if the child were not there, it would just be an awkward adult hitting at a t-ball game. But if you let the child just go, sometimes they can hit it and sometimes they can't. But it is a cooperation between the two as they learn. And here, the grace of Christ is a power that is offered to us so that we can have a divine cooperation where we are trying to swing the bat and the Holy Spirit is there with us, helping us to swing as well. Lord, how do I do this? Lord, what am I supposed to do in these situations? How do I respond? But, you know, the, the help isn't there unless we step up to the T. The Holy Spirit can't help us to swing unless we hold the bat. 
It's to be a divine human cooperation. It's a mystery, something that, that, that we don't quite understand, fully understand, but also anyone who's experienced this can tell you it is more real than the physical world that we live in. It's a focus effort, finally, as we look about at this section of Paul's letter to Timothy, because this entire section, both before it and after it, is couched in a discussion about suffering. Boy, there's the downer. It's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear that it was going to be great and it was going to be wonderful and it was going to be exciting. It is, but, but Paul couches it in suffering. He has had multiple people desert him. Only Onesiphorus has, has looked for him in Rome. He mentions that right before. And that's why he says, you then, Timothy, be strong in the Lord because this isn't a walk in the park. This is not an, an easy job, but this is something that requires focused and sustained effort. It is the work of Paul's life. It is the work of Timothy's life. It is the work of our lives. And it requires that we understand it's, it is in the midst of suffering. Great pain will come our way and great pain will be revealed to us. When we talk to people, when we walk with them, when they walk away from us, when we find out the pain that they are going through, when we, when we apply the healing of the gospel to wounds, it's hard, but it is good. It is good. You then, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So then, entrust the faith to reliable people who will then be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Those are painful words for the way that we have been brought up and the way we have thought about the way that a church expands. But we stand in the midst of a great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews tells us, who have gone before us, who have run their race, and who now encourage us, having lived their life in faith. As we think about discipleship, may we be found to be faithful, faithful to the call of Jesus Christ, available to Him in every aspect of our life, teachable, being constantly molded by the gospel, and that we would be molding others and reproducing other faithful, available, and teachable disciples. Amen. Lord, help us. This is not something that comes natural to us. We, we have so many concerns. We, we have so many what-ifs. We have so many ways that we doubt ourselves, and yet you call us into this plan knowing full well all of our insecurities and all of our inadequacies, and you promise us, I will be with you. Help us to see who it is that we are to be discipling, who it is that we are to be alongside and strengthening and to see who it is that who is to be discipling us 
guiding and molding us. We can only do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to to lean into that. To know your Holy Spirit in every aspect of our lives. We give you thanks through Christ who died but who lives and reigns with you. In his name we pray. Amen.